You're listening to Business Stories with Ryan Arcarachi, where I speak to business professionals from all walks of life. Thanks for listening, and let's get to it. Okay, welcome everybody to the podcast. I am in a live podcast uh, with Matthew, and I'm sorry, Matthew, I need to pronounce your last name correctly. Kreitzer. Kreitzer. Okay, you are an attorney here with Howard and Howard here in Las Vegas, specifically focused on franchise law and franchise um, legal challenges and compliances. Um, talk to us about your background. You've been doing this a while. I see you've been awarded for some things over the past several years. So talk to us about how you got into this this role here. Yeah, it was a kind of kind of by accident. Um, the The second job I had out of law school, um, you know, the first uh, first firm I went to work for, I went to be just a litigator doing uh, antitrust law and stuff like that because I thought I wanted to be an antitrust lawyer, um, and uh, didn't really take to it. Like it was uh, just not just not my cup of tea. It was a lot of document review and. A lot of tedium. <laughs> so yeah. um, when I left there, I went to work um, just for a small um, litigation shop, like basically a law firm that handles lawsuits on behalf of, of different people. And in this case, that firm was uh, completely focused on franchising. Um, and in, in that situation, that firm represents only franchisees. Um, in litigation with franchisors and also negotiation stuff like that, mm-hmm. um, and I worked there for you know a good four and a half five years uh, before I uh, before I even moved out to Las Vegas. That was back in DC. Mm-hmm. So um, when I uh, when I moved out to Vegas and started with a different firm here, uh, there wasn't anybody in this city that was doing franchise work. So um, so I kind of used that as an opportunity to expand um you know kind of use use my background and knowledge as a as a way to uh as, as a way to, to start a, a a franchise practice in a city that you know was up and coming that didn't necessarily have anybody doing franchise law specifically here right. so yeah it's been uh, more than 20 years that i've been doing it now wow that's great so one thing i noticed about vegas is it's a growing city there's franchisees coming in left and right it's, it's it's hustling it's bustling it's an attractive place for businesses to come in what have you learned like working here what are some of the i guess the pitfalls or things you're seeing that are happening happening now with franchising and people where people are i guess not always in compliance or struggling in certain areas that they don't realize they're struggling in, in terms of the legal side yeah i mean see uh uh we see some folks um, maybe getting into the relationship without fully being aware of what it means yeah. to sign a contract and to, to be obligated under a contract. Um, and um, maybe, and I think that's a little bit on the franchisor as well as the franchisee, maybe not doing enough um, due diligence, learning what they, what, what, it, what it means to be a franchise owner what it needs to be a business owner before signing on the bottom bottom line. Um, and I think also there's there can be some uh, miscommunication with people who get into franchising without the without the thinking or knowledge that some franchises 
are well suited to um, to absentee ownership, mm-hmm. um, but some are not. Mm-hmm. Some franchises, and I'd say the most most franchises, take you know re- really owners who are invested in the business to to operate it to to make it to make it work on a day to day basis. Um, yeah, I think a lot of people buy in a franchise thinking it's just going to run itself. Yep. It doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So talking about that, like if we look at, you have the two sides of the coin. You've got the franchisee or the potential franchisee, and then you have the franchisor. What, how do you, coming in, let's just say from the, the position of a franchisee or potential franchise candidate, what are the best practices for you to, I guess, cover yourself? before you sign on that dotted line and make that decision? Because it is a big decision. It's a big financial decision. It's a big life decision. So when you talk about doing the due diligence, what would you say, you know, what are the steps you should take or what should you think about before you, you jump in with it? Number one, absolute number one by, by far, is talk to people who have already been there mm-hmm. and done that. Um, what I mean is talk to people who bought this specific franchise mm-hmm. um, who are franchisees now or um, are not franchisees anymore but have sold or, or, or exited the system yeah you can find out like who those people are by just looking at the franchise disclosure document the FDD that the that the franchisor provides to you mm-hmm. they have to list the the names of of the franchisees um, and their contact information and the former former franchisees um, in a certain section of their FTD. So call those people, talk to them. And I think if there's one question to ask above any other, it's, you know, if you had to do this all over again, um, as as in meaning buying this franchise, knowing what you know now, would you? Would you still buy into this franchise knowing what you know now? Yeah. So I'd say that's number one, far and above anything else. Um, I'd think the, the second thing, um, is look at alternatives, look at the competitors, look at other options out there before you jump in. Yep. Um, because there are thousands of franchise opportunities out there. Um, and, you know, if you really get, I think as human beings, sometimes we can get tunnel vision and, and get really excited about one opportunity, one particular thing can happen with houses or apartments or whatever it is we can we can just focus on this one like oh i'm excited about this one hold on now are there others that would work for me and and do i still prefer this one when i compare to those so i think that's probably number two look at the alternatives uh, and weigh the alternatives and then number three um and i hate to sound for this sound like a commercial for my profession but hire a franchise lawyer so that you can understand what you're signing before you sign it. Um, A lot of franchisors will not negotiate their franchise agreements. Um, And it's just a policy matter. I understand why they do that. It's not a criticism or anything like that. It's just the reality of the business that they won't, but some will. Mm -hmm. So uh, a franchise attorney, somebody who does this all the time, will understand if there's any room for negotiation, what might be negotiable. Um, so, uh, so yeah, hiring good legal counsel help you understand what it is you're buying uh, before you buy. Okay. Do you find like if you have a candidate who does that, who hires a lawyer, 
and it caused friction between the deal happening and, and caused some sticky points with the franchisor. Because it seems like in that from that regard, the franchisor might roll their eyes and say, oh boy, here comes a lawyer. What do we do now? Would they step away and maybe not even approach that candidate? I mean, what what has your experience been with that? Um, it runs the gamut, but frankly, um, the the more experienced and sophisticated the franchisor, the more likely they're going to be happy about a fran- uh, an attorney being involved on the franchisee side. Okay. Because if I'm an experienced franchisor, um, I'm also going to know what I just told you, which is that um, for people can get into contracts without understanding what they're obligated to do. Yeah. And if I have people that are buying in, knowing what they're buying into, knowing what they're going to be obligated to do, um, it's going to be better for my relationship with that franchisee over time. So, um, but again, a franchisor is also going to say, an experienced franchisor is also going to say it's better if you as the franchisee um, hire somebody who knows what they're doing, works in this franchise world, because... One thing that can absolutely torpedo deals, and I have seen it happen, is um, a business attorney, somebody who doesn't understand franchising, coming in like, oh my gosh, look at this franchise agreement. This is unfair, this is unfair, this is unfair. Yep. Not understanding the franchise agreements are one-sided. They're written that way for a reason. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I want to rewrite the whole thing. Yeah. That's going to be a non-starter. Yeah. An experienced franchise attorney is going to be like, okay, wait a second. Yeah. Here are why, here are the reasons why it's written this way, yeah. um, but here are things that they may be willing to give on right. um, in within that model. Okay. So if we go on to the other side, the franchisor side, when we approach this situation, and you said one of the things we wanted to talk about is some new compliance laws, I think, going on, especially around the questionnaires. Let's talk about, we'll, we'll talk about that in a second, but the, the franchisor side, what's sort of the, the accountability on them when it comes to the legal side, and where are you seeing issues with, with that too, with them between the, their relationship with the new candidate or the potential franchisee? Well, it's a good question. So, um, it's is this completely on the franchisor? Is completely the franchisor's job mm-hmm. to ensure that a sale is made legally? Um, so, then that that means a couple of different things. First. It means that the candidate has received the franchise disclosure document and at least 14 calendar days has pa- have passed since I since since the franchisee received the document before I as the franchisor accept a signed contract or accept a, ch- a check from the candidate. So that's number one. Number two, if the franchise candidate, the franchisee is in a state that has franchise specific laws um, that require registrations, my job to make sure that I'm registered there before making that sale. It's my job to make sure that everything is signed correctly. Uh, it's not It's not on the franchisee to, to confirm that, that I'm registered in each state. It's my job to do that. Okay. So, um, so there's a lot of responsibility on franchisors to make sure that a, a sale is made legally and in compliance with every single franchise law that's out there. Okay, okay. What are you seeing? I mean, are you seeing a lot of mistakes made or problems happening because franchisors are not really, I don't want to say they're intentionally not following the law, but they're not aware of things. Do you see that happening quite a bit? Um, I wouldn't say it happens a lot, but it does happen. I mean, there are are always 
There are always situations where people don't know what they don't know. Yeah. Um, and that happens in franchising too. People get eager and, and decide that they want to go out there and be a franchisor. So they, they may or may not hire somebody that knows what they're doing to create a franchise disclosure document. Yeah. Um, they may or may not even be aware <laughs> of franchise laws. And so maybe they even don't have an FDD to give to a prospect. I see that, I mean, with regularity, to being a lawyer, I'm going to see these situations more than most. Right. I mean, I'd say it's still like a minority of deals. Yeah. But, I mean, as somebody who is paid to fix these problems when they come up, yeah. I'm going to see them more often than most. Right. So, um, so, yeah, these things do come up. These okay. non-compliance issues do arise. Yeah. And, I mean, I would say they're... they're when caught, they're costly. The costly mm. issue. Absolutely, it costs so much more to try to fix it yeah. than to just get it right in the first place. And that's why you're here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're the guy to make sure we get it right in the first place. Right. So you brought up early earlier about this new um, compliance or regulation about questionnaires. Yeah. Let's yeah. talk about that because you said there's a phasing out of questionnaires, and we have one here. Um, and I don't know if you said this was happening just in California, is this, or is this That's nationwide? The, yeah, good question. So, um, so what happened is um, this is this sounds hyper technical. I realize so I'm going to try to make it sound not so technical because it actually affects every single franchise deal that's done starting on January one of this year. Okay. So, what happened is um, the the working group that regulates franchises um, issued new guidance last year to say. Um, we use these franchisors usually, well, not, not usually, almost almost every single franchisor everywhere in the country has used questionnaires kind of like the one I, I showed you there yeah. that, that ask somebody who's looking to sign a franchise agreement certain questions about what happened in the sales process. Mm-hmm. And the whole idea of the questionnaire is, if I'm a franchisor and I have, let's say, a sales organization employing 30 to 50 different people, mm-hmm. and you may have talked to any one of those people as a prospect, I don't necessarily know what all of those people said to you. Right. You know, right. I hope they followed what I told them to do. I hope they followed my instructions, yeah. and I hope that they followed the law. But I don't know for certain right. that that happened. So. I'm going to ask you as, as, my, as my candidate to fill out a questionnaire as part of the signing process that says, did anybody say, <clears throat> excuse me, say any of this stuff to you? Yeah. Did they make promises to you about the type of um, money you might, you might earn that isn't consistent with what the franchisor has in its item 19 of its FDD? Right. Did, the, did, did my candidate or did my salespeople tell you that uh, you're going to get support or that we're going to do things for you that aren't already in the franchise contract. Yeah. I want to know these things before I sign on the con- sign the contract binding me yeah. because if it happens later on that you come to me and say I was promised this that or the other thing mm-hmm. and I said wait who who said that to you when was it promised um, I didn't authorize them to promise it can result in a lot of problems legally. Right. Um, you know, we, we could get we could end up in court over it. So I, as the franchisor, would use a compliance questionnaire to figure out who said what to you, or if anybody said anything to you that I did not authorize 
during the sales process. So I'm going to ask you to fill one of those out. Yeah. Now, some states, including the, the, the ones that regulate franchising, said last year, we don't want people, we don't want franchisors using them anymore um, because the concern is that franchisors use them not as a shield, but as a sword. In other words, um, use them in ways that were never supposed to happen to to take to take unfair advantage over the franchisee. Like um, use them in litigation to say, ah, but you can't claim now that I, that somebody said something to you that's not in the FDD because yeah. right that's where this document right here is where you said that didn't happen. Yeah. Um, so a lot of states say, wait, that's that's resulting in a waiver of the protections created by our state laws for franchisees can't do that anymore. Um, so some states have actually made it illegal against the law to, to do that anymore, including California, including Rhode Island. And other states that regulate franchises have also said that we're not going to let you register in our state if you, you want to, to, if you've got a questionnaire in it that, that does this. Mm-hmm. So, as of January 1st, there are there are several states, you know, about 15 of them, um, certainly all the registration states, but then a couple more that are not going to let you, um, uh, if you're a franchisor, register with a compliance questionnaire or use them. So um, that begs the question for franchisors. Um, if I can't use this compliance questionnaire to, to make sure that my prospects are being told the right information before they sign the franchise contract. How do I figure that out? Mm-hmm. Um, if I can't use a compliance questionnaire, what do I do? Well, I can interview interview you on the phone if you're my prospect and just make sure I can just satisfy myself by questions, oral questions. I can't, I can't ask you to record it. I can't use your answers against you, yep. but I can at least ask you the questions and run through did somebody say this to you? Did somebody say that to you? Okay, I'm satisfied that you're not that we're all on the same page. Yeah. So I can at least do that as a franchisor. But as far as those compliance questionnaires go, um, in some states, I could actually be fined or um, or that legal action taken against me just for even you know asking you to fill one of those things out. Wow. Um, so yeah. So what what is that? What's that fine look like? Are we talking thousands here, or depends on how many times I do it? Yeah. Oh, really? And 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 whether I knew about it, you yeah. know, and and things like that. But yeah, I mean, let's say you know I'm in the state of California, and and I had a hundred signed up a hundred franchisees last year, yeah. And I used every one, and well, as of January first of this year, yeah. and every one of them did a compliance questionnaire. Um, you know, I'd probably be paying. A, a few thousand dollars per franchisee that I did that to. Wow. And if you do it with a hundred, that's a yeah. lot of money. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this though. Like, wouldn't the F wouldn't the FDD almost override anything that a, a candidate may hear or check off on a questionnaire? I mean, mm. isn't that kind of the end all? Or is this questionnaire carry that much weight legally? I'm just curious. No, that's a good question. Um in fact, um, I've heard I've heard that kind of thing said a lot. Yeah. But it's exactly it's kind of the opposite because the FTD is not supposed to be used by a franchisor to 
to say uh, as as a as a weapon against the franchisee to say, hey, the FDD only says that you get these things, doesn't say these other things. Therefore, you don't get anything else. Yeah. Um, the franchisee is allowed to use what's disclosed to them in the FDD if there's a misunderstanding. And if I'm if I the franchisor have given you an FDD that says X, but the reality is Y, mm-hmm. then I have a legal claim against the franchisor yep. in that case. Yep. But that's what it's supposed to be used for. It's like misstatements by the franchisor. There's nothing that says that a franchisor can't say things outside of what's in the FDD because the FDD doesn't cover every single thing. Yeah. Like it doesn't like an FDD isn't going to say, you know, uh, the the, your your store has to be open uh, at 8 a.m. and until 10 p.m. every single night, including Sundays. And then a salesperson says, yeah, but. You know, we understand that you know nobody's open on Sunday in your area, so therefore it's not going to. We'll 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 agree that yeah. that doesn't bind you. An FDD isn't going to say that. Yeah, it's not going to get to that level of detail. Yeah. So the franchisee in that case could say, "Hey, franchisor, you promised me this, and you didn't, and now you're holding me liable yeah. because I didn't do it. But I told you from the get go that I couldn't be open on Sunday in this area. Whatever it is. Right. Anyway, just an example, but okay. Interesting. So let's talk about you brought up privacy law too. Yeah. There's some changes there with, with franchising. So talk to us a little bit about that and what's going on there. Yeah, so it's um so privacy laws um over especially over the last few years have continued to get a lot more robust. Um and it's it's not a franchise specific issue, but given that franchises are absolutely covered under these laws just like ever other businesses, it's something for franchises to think about. And specifically that that privacy laws will apply commonly wherever somebody is gathering personally identifiable information from somebody. So mm-hmm. um, you, you know, let's say, let's say, you know, I, I sell frozen yogurt, I'm a franchisee who sells frozen yogurt. Yeah. And you want to sign up for my loyalty card, my loyalty program where every five yogurts you get one free or whatever, right. um, I'm going to ask you for some information. Yeah. And I want your email address, I want your phone number, I want that kind of stuff from you. And and so you give it to me. I can't use that information to like, you know, I can't sell it to somebody right. so they start spamming you. That would be a violation of law. Those are the types of laws that govern privacy. Like, you know, I can use it to send you an email saying we're having a special on yogurt this this yeah. week or whatever but i just can't sell it to like you know the the clothing place down the road and say hey this guy might want clothes right. from you yeah. i can't do that okay. so privacy laws govern that kind of thing and and over time as as information people get spammed more and more information becomes more valuable um to, to companies big data is what we hear about all the time yeah. um as that continues to to go states and and the governments are are really trying to crack down on people using information in ways that aren't that the people don't authorize okay right. um, and so some states like California and um, you know New York bigger states already have laws that are even more strict than they are in Europe mm-hmm. um, Europe has these laws that are called 
forget what it stands for. It's like GDPR. Yeah. And everybody talks about GDPR compliance with their data. Well, we have some states like California that are even more strict here about how you can use data, how you gather it, what you do with it, that kind of thing. So franchisees and franchisors have to be aware of this stuff because they're required to, to follow it just as much as anyone else. So as these laws become more strict, as they get amended, as they get implemented state by state, um, it's helpful for people to know about those things, yeah. make sure they're not inadvertently violating the law just by trying to create a customer loyalty program. Right. I mean, this also happens in when, when trying to find candidates. I think I know a lot of franchisors collect data to get candidates from their website or somewhere else. Yeah. I mean, what are the best practices with that in terms of just covering yourself legally for collecting data, not just on the consumer end, but on the franchise candidate end as mm-hmm. well? Like mm-hmm. how, what, how do you maintain compliance with that given all that's going on with data out there? Yeah, I mean, there's some uh, there's some basic ways, which first of all is disclosing to the person who's sharing the information. This is what I'm going to use it for. Yeah, specifically uh, from from the outset, making sure that 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 every that the person I'm collecting the data from knows why I'm collecting the data and what it's going to be used for. Yeah. Second, making sure it's hidden behind a firewall. I mean, we hear about data breaches all the time. Yeah. Um, and you know, the fact is hackers are going to figure out ways around firewalls and things like that. Yeah. But I've at least got to, I, I at least have to try to protect it yeah. and do my best to protect it because if I don't, then I'm negligent. Yeah. So making sure that it's, that it's hidden behind a firewall and kept safe. Also, I have to have some period of time a, a, after which I will expunge, you know, uh, old data that I'm not, you know, the people aren't kind of using any or like, yeah. uh, you know, customers are kind of falling off. I'm not going to keep that forever. Yeah. Um, and certainly I've got to make sure that um, I'm not I'm not using the data in ways that are inconsistent with what I've told yeah. my customer I'll use it for. Yeah. OK. Interesting. We've been talking a lot about what you do, but I want to know more about you. Like I want people to, to know you and your expertise. Um, and I know that you've been awarded. You've had an award. I think it was in twenty twelve, for for um, I think just just your knowledge and your expertise. Tell us about that. I read that somewhere in your bio that you had. Um, yeah, you I had an award. So I don't. I I don't mean to sound um, conceited when I say, but I've. I've I've gotten a lot of awards for stuff. So okay, like, but like, yeah, like let's I've talk been, about some of them. Now. Yeah, okay. so I'm, I've been uh, I've been named a, a franchise Times Legal Eagle every year for the last. Um, well, I'm not allowed to talk about 2023 yet, so okay. let's just say the last ten years. Okay, um, I have uh, I've been named uh, one of the best lawyers in America um, for the last six years in franchising distribution. Wow. Um, Mount, the Mountain States Super Lawyers Award. I think I've gotten that every year for the last ten or eleven years. Um, so if that's, anyway, I get a I get a lot of awards, and it's uh yeah, it's kind of embarrassing. <laughs> no, it shouldn't be embarrassing. It's it's great. I oh, mean, thanks. congratulations. Um, I got to ask you too. Like, what do you think separates you? I mean, how how is your approach different from other attorneys? And you know, there's. And there's somewhat of a stigma with attorneys. People yeah, always feel like t- attorneys are called in when something bad happens, and it's annoying to have to deal with them. Let's yeah. put it that way. 
well, how do you think, how did you get to this point where having those awards, you know, come into your life? You had to have some kind of a process or things you've learned along the way to get there. Yeah. What do you think made that happen? Well, first, I think, um, I think uh, having, being somebody that people like to deal with yeah. um, is probably towards the top of my list. I mean, it's not so much an intentional thing, but like, and, you know, I think, um, you know, most of my clients like my personality. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I sort of, in, in some ways, I have a, a laid back personality in that I'm not always, you know, hyper about every every last thing. And I'm yeah. not always trying to, to freak my clients out. I'm trying to give them the reality and, and give them options. If, some, if there's bad news about something, okay, here's the bad news. Yeah. Here are the ways we deal with it. Yeah. Um, and let's not lose our minds over this. This is part of this is part of doing business. Right. Um, so having I, I I think we would probably call it a bedside manner type of thing. Right. Um, so it's it's that it's it's also having uh, having been in this area or been doing this for a long time, understanding business owners, understanding small business, and understanding the realities of small business. I mean, you know, I I am. In that I own my own practice, I am myself a small business owner. I, I'm a part owner of this law firm, right. and um, and as a small business owner, I understand what it's like to run and own a small business. Right. So, um, you know, understanding budgets and understanding realities of things instead of, you know, just theoretical, you know, legal constructs, but being able to really relate them to people and yeah. how they actually need to run their business on a day to day basis. Right. I think has been helpful. So I think that's like number one. Um, It's just my bedside manner manner and understanding small business owners. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I mean, one of the things I think shook up small business and franchising in general was COVID. Three years ago, it was like a kick to the face. I mean, nobody really expected it and nobody knew what to do when it happened. What what sort of, uh, I guess, challenges did you see small business owners facing at that time? And, you know, if we look at the future, if it happens again or something similar happens again, what are some things people could, how do they better prepare themselves for this, I guess, would be the question in the future. Yeah, that's a, that second one's that that's a doozy. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's been, so it's interesting, COVID is interesting for me and my clients because um, for some, it didn't affect them much at all. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for for. You know, I have I have clients that have mostly mobile businesses um, where you know, like you know, like for example, I one of my one of my clients uh, that's here local, based locally, uh, is a dog training business, and you, you know they mostly train dogs out in parks and things like that. So during COVID, didn't really do yeah. much to them at all. Yeah. Um, you know, but to a restaurant, it did a lot. If you have like capacity restrictions. Um, businesses, restaurants had to shift their focus to learning how to focus on delivery and, and mobile apps and things like that to, mm-hmm. to respond to customer um, customer behaviors. So it took it takes a certain amount of fluidity, mm-hmm. or I think, or or willingness to to shift focus or shift attention. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's something COVID taught all of us is. How, I mean, me personally too. I mean, I used to spend five days a week in the office and 
and couldn't have imagined working from home full time. But just like most people that have office jobs, I did mm -hmm. for a long time. And now trying to get back in the office full time is the, is the yeah. real challenge, right? right? So it's like learning how to respond to new things and shift focus or shift how you work um, is, is essential just for any business. Mm -hmm. um, be able to pivot. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I got to ask you too, like, how do you approach, I mean, when you talk about franchising, there's, there's new ones popping up. There's new innovative concepts coming up all the time in technology and, and you know, food service and every, I mean, everything. There's what, like 3,000, over 3,000 different franchises. How do you approach, I guess, take, tackling on new, new things coming in and, and, you know, the different nuances with every type of brand out there? Do you have sort of a strategy of how you attack certain situations and certain with certain franchisors um, and that sort of thing? Yeah, I mean, just as uh, you know, with with the example I just have, being able to be fluid and pivot a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know that that that's a reality of my my business on a daily day day to day basis too. Yeah. Because like, um, for example, just just this week, I have this client who was focused whose entire business model was focused on a, a bricks and mortar experiential kind of concept. Yeah. And, you know, then they come to me not long ago and say, you know, we think that this will translate to mobile too. Yeah. We think that we could have the same experiential type of thing through, through trucks um, that go to different places and set up or whatever. Um, so we need you to, to kind of change how our system is built. To, to respond to that yeah um, you know that that happens um, and it's just a matter of of not not being rigid in your thinking yeah um, and trying to think through possibilities and how this might affect that and the other thing um, you know I have another client who um, who's bringing who's doing you know he's going into a, a, a very well developed or a developing part of the food market which is you know, vegan eating and that kind of thing. And, and bringing in kind of a new product that I think will change how people eat, mm -hmm. um, especially if they're looking for healthy food products, mm -hmm. um, that is going to take some shifting of the market and shifting of the focus too, but has the ability to revolutionize how thing, an entire part of that industry. Yeah. Um, so it's uh, but but again, thinking about those things and and you know, will what are the possibilities for that business to grow in the future? Am I creating these franchise documents in a way that be too limiting to the prohibit or protects or prevents them from being able to grow in these directions? Or yeah. am I thinking about those things in advance? So yeah, what do you see? I mean, you're looking at in the next five or ten years from now. I mean, and we know within two years, things change drastically in technology. We talk about data. What do you think are going to be the biggest challenges for the legal industry and franchising, and maybe just in business in general? And we look into, we're at 2023 now, we look at 2025, 28, 30. What, what do you think are, what are the, some of the roadblocks we're going to be facing or things we should be looking at or concerned about? Yeah, I think... Um... I would say I would I would answer one question for franchising and one for um, the legal market in general. Yeah. Um, the first is for franchising. I think uh, for for the last 
15 years or so, um, we've noticed uh, there has been kind of a lull in new regulation coming out. Like, you know, we had a last, last big change in the law happened in 2008. Mm -hmm. um, and then back. kind of nothing yeah. until this last year. Yeah. Um, you know, there are little things here and there that changed in the, in the franchise regulation. But now there's more of a push again to more tightly regulate franchises. Um, you know, there are certain certain national um, uh, you know leaders that are very very interested in the franchise relationship like um, Senator Cortez Masto from Nevada mm -hmm. I mean she's very very focused on franchising and 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 what she believes are inequities in the franchise relationship so I think you know as national attention gets focused on franchising I think more changes are probably coming mm -hmm. um, so that will impose cost on franchisors, make it probably more expensive to comply with franchise law. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the thing that franchising is going to have to be ready for. Um, and then I'd say for legal industry, but also actually for everyone, um, as AI starts to become more of yeah. a pronounced thing in our lives, right. it's going to cause changes and shifts that we're not that the, the we're not necessarily used to or ready for. Um, and that's going to affect all of us mm -hmm. in different ways. Um, I All I can do is be aware of it yeah. and try to think about how, what it could mean for me and my business. But I think that's true for everyone, right? I think, I think AI has the ability to, to transform a lot of people's business. Um, so I think those that survive and thrive in the event of AI are the ones that, that learn how to, are going to be the ones who learn how to deal with it and live with it and work yeah. with it. Do you think it's going to bring in some interesting legal challenges as we get into AI? Because if you think about, you know, bad people getting access to it, uh, people using it for unethical things, collecting data, stealing credit cards, whatever they do, do you foresee it bringing a whole new bucket of worms into your industry and just challenges? Yeah, I mean, I am. I'm obviously focused on what I do specifically, yeah. um, but I see AI as potentially being <clears throat> a tool for both for both bad and good in franchising, especially with the franchise legal stuff. I mean, yeah. not to get too too off the rail or too technical, but you know, I could see somebody like me using AI very efficiently to find out from my my franchisor clients certain things that need to change when we're building their legal documents. But I can't remove myself from that yeah. so that equation because AI is not going to be able to substitute for the judgment of an attorney. Yeah. But by the same token, I can see some people developing AI and thinking that attorneys can be removed from the process entirely. Yeah. Um, and I think that would be dangerous Yeah. because... Um, you know, we've seen people try to substitute all kinds of stuff for what lawyers do already. Um, and it's usually this, it usually ends up in bad results, harm and clement. Going back to what we were talking about earlier, like somebody might try to use AI to cut some corners in mm -hmm. developing an FDD, yep. for example. Um, and that I think would come back to bite them and cost yeah. them a lot more money in the long run yeah. um, instead of having a lawyer that maybe knows how to use AI yep. to make themselves more efficient, yeah. um, which I think would be the benefit. Yeah. 
So if you're listening, do not use AI for your legal document. <laughs> just a just a tip there. So, well, Matthew, it's been a really good conversation and very insightful. Thank you. Where can people? Uh, I know you're going to be involved with, or at least at IFA this year, going on coming up in the next few days. Uh, where can people find you or uh, talk to you more if they have questions? How can they reach you? Yeah, um, my email is. Um, I'll give you the easy version. Uh, it's my initials, which are M J K at the letter H, the number two L A W H two law.com. Uh, that's my email. My blog uh, is maybe an easy way to reach me because all my contacts on there. It's uh, forwardfranchising.com, like go forward okay. franchising.com. Uh, and my phone number is office line is 702. 702- Six six seven four eight two seven. Great. Well, thank you again. I look forward to seeing you at IFA, and uh, we'll keep in touch. All right. Thanks a lot, Ryan. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you're interested in becoming an episode sponsor, please email me at livingryan at gmail.com. And thank you so much.